Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter in chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. We're going to look there for a few moments. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. The time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Father, help us, I pray, as we study thy word. I ask that you would open our hearts and give us, dear God, the things that we have need of today. And Lord, we'll thank you. We'll be grateful to you. Bless uh, each and every person here. Thank you for those that are visiting, those that are faithful members. We're grateful for them, and we simply ask uh, that your word would have its impact on our life here today. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. The longer we live in this world, the more experience that we gain. Now, experience isn't everything. We know that. There's certain things that experience can't do for us. It doesn't remove pain. It, it doesn't fill voids. It doesn't always answer questions. It's, uh, it's, it's, but, 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 but what it does for us is it sometimes changes our perspective on life. Sometimes it gives us a little more patience than we might normally have had uh, in the early years of our life. And it, it seems that when we were young, life seemed endless. It stretched on and on forever. And, and, and while that's true as far as eternity is concerned, it's certainly a false impression of life here on this earth. When I was a kid, it seemed as though summers lasted forever. You, you may remember those days. It, 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 it was, uh, seemed to be just short of a decade before we had to go back to school again. And Christmas and New Year's and birthdays seemed like they came once in a millennial. But, but when I got older, as I began to get older, my days shortened and my months shrunk drastically. And a, a year is now the new month. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing what happens. Time Time certainly flies. And, and there are times in life when um, the value of life and the brevity of life become very, very clear. I often tell people at funerals that you may think that right now your thinking is cloudy because you're under an emotional um, earthquake. But the reality of the matter is probably you're thinking more clearly at this point than you have at any other point. We, we tend to live in the middle of a mirage. We build facades and, and embrace fantasies in, in, in the norm of our life, where in reality, sometimes we're called back to truth 
when a tragedy takes place or a heartbreak enters our life, we suddenly begin to realize, hey, this life isn't one gigantic party that's open-ended at some point, at some place. All that we know will come to an end. Um, I, just, I just think about things that change our life in so many ways. I remember 10 years ago this past September when I had cancer, that was a life-altering experience in my life. And I'm not going to go through all of it. I just want to tell you that I learned to value things differently. I learned to look at life differently. There were things that I probably took for granted back then that I no longer do now. It gave me simply a different perspective of life. And to a certain degree, I learned better than ever before to live in the now, to live in the moment, to live in the day and not uh, not to overlook the things that, that surround me. August, this August I'll be 68 and I'm aware, very well aware that I'm probably, in fact there's no doubt about it, there's no probably to it, I'm closer to the day of my death than I am the day of my birth. I know that. And the sand, I, I brought this because my, my grandkids are fascinated with it. They always come and, Papa, can I see the timepiece, they call it. And, and the sand in my hourglass is rapidly emptying, and it's running, it's constantly running. And by the way, that's true of you as well as it is of me, and it doesn't matter where we are in, in our age. Our hourglass is running. And we don't know how much sand we have left in the top chamber, but we, we can look at it if we're honest, and we can see that the bottom chamber is, is filling up rapidly and and I don't think that's something that we necessarily should be afraid of, but it does and should bring an awareness and a, a soberness uh, that we did not perhaps possess when we were younger. I remember when I was a young preacher, I would go to fellowship meetings. I'm thinking of one in particular where a man got up and with tears in his eyes, he spoke of heaven. and He spoke of the ending of life. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. I wasn't worried about that, wasn't thinking about that, wasn't concerned about that. I was concerned about living and what was going to happen the next week and where was I going when the fellowship meeting was over and, and, and those type things. But, but the, the reality of the matter is, as you get older, you look at those things in a more sober fashion and, and, and it's, it's important for us. I think... Um, uh, life isn't one gigantic game, listen to me, that we can bluff our way through. Okay, We're not supposed to be living behind facades. If there's anything that's important to us as believers, it's, it's the realness of who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus and, and, and living in front of people where they realize that there is life beyond this earth and, and there are issues that are eternal uh, in nature. God doesn't want us to be indifferent about, about spiritual things, about eternal things. He, he doesn't want us to take His Word casualty. He wants us, uh, uh, He wants our life to count, okay? He wants our life to count. He wants us uh, to, to live our life in a way that will impact other people. Now, He gives us a book of instructions, okay? So how do, how do we live a life that impacts others? It's in the book. It's, it's in the Bible. He gives us this word so that we can read it. And as we read it, 
His Spirit speaks to us and applies certain things to our heart. And when I am unloving, I read about the fact that herein shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. When I'm unpraying, I read where he says, pray without ceasing. You know, when, 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 when I'm unkind, uh, he says, be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So as I am in his word, his word speaks to me and draws me and moves me in a manner that uh, brings me in alignment with what I'm supposed to be. Now, I want to say a couple of things to you. First thing I want you to know is simply this, and that is that life truly begins at salvation. Okay? You, you exist, and in the eyes of man you live, but in reality there's no true life until you get to a place to where you come to know Christ uh, for salvation. Verse 1, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh... And the realization is that Christ was the propitiation uh, for our sins and that He died to save us. And that leads us to where we need to be as far as our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3, and it said that He answered him in verse number 3, and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He then said in in verse 7 of that, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and you can drop down to verse 23, it talks about being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I was born on August the 30th, 1955. You might want to circle that date on your calendar. Anyhow, so I was born then. I was 12 years old, and I got born again when I was 12 years after I was physically born. So even though I had a 12-year existence in my life where people called my name and hugged me, the reality of the matter is, is that, that there was only within me a dichotomy of who I was. And, and my spirit was dead. But when I went to hear uh, the gospel story given to me that day, and I received Christ as my Savior, on that day I was born again. Had I not accepted Christ as my Savior, I would today be physically alive, and yet I would be spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1, And you hath he quickened that were dead in trespasses and sin. It talks about two types of people, the quick and the dead. Somebody said that was the two types of pedestrians in New York City. Okay, I don't know. That's not what this is talking about. Verse chapter, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 5, Even when ye were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are ye saved. The word quickened mean to, means to be made alive. It's to be infused with life. Colossians 2, 13, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you, all your trespasses. Can I tell you this? There's a lot of dead men walking. A lot of dead men walking. I think there's a series, The Walking Dead. I don't know if that's still on or not. I've never seen a single part of it because uh, I don't want to think about it when I'm sleeping. And, uh, but it's this popular thing. I remember people posting on Facebook, Oh, my word, season two of The Walking Dead. You don't have to go to, you don't have to, go to your television to watch The Walking Dead. Just go to the mall. They're everywhere. People that are going through life buying 
you know, clothes, doing commerce, looking at shoes, just doing everything, sitting at restaurants, and they're dead. They're dead. There is no, there is no eternal life for them. Whatever good they get will be in this life. Whatever they, they may enjoy will be in this life. Whatever hope they have is in this life. Because they're dead men walking. And, and they're in our families, and, 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 and they're on our jobs, and, and they're our neighbors, and they're all around us. They're dead men walking, and, and we need to be aware of the fact that though we see them and may, may have conversation with them, there is no true life in them, because there is no life without Jesus Christ. And I'm not so foolish to think as I, as I stand here in church and talk to people right here at South Valley Baptist Church that there's not a possibility that someone may be here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. And, 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 though, and though they have likes and desires and their plans for this afternoon and what are you going to do when you get home and what did you just hear in Sunday school and all those things, you can be without Jesus Christ. Church won't save you. Baptism is not the process of redemption. You can be, you can be respected in church and loved by your church family, and yet not even remotely a part of the family of God. Because you have, to, you have to realize that life truly begins at salvation. I want you to notice that second of all, if, if, if life has begun for us at salvation, then we have to consider ourselves dead. Isn't that, isn't that strange that, 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 that we who have life in Christ also must embrace the deadness of our life when it comes to sin. Notice with me in verse number one, he says, To arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That tells me that we're in a battle. Okay? It talks about suffering and ceasing. It's not easy. It's not an easy process. And the reality is this in salvation that Paul talks about often throughout throughout the scriptures, Paul talks about that that that, that we are uh, saved from the uh, penalty of sin when we're born again. We are being saved from the power of sin through the process of spiritual growth, what we call sanctification. We are becoming saved from the power of sin. How many of you, there were habits in your life that you used to do when you were young, but when you got saved, you, you gradually, God brought you out of those? Okay, good. Two of you. I know what the rest of you are doing. And so now I've got a new message. But anyhow, yeah, the reality of the matter is this. We're being, we are being saved from the power of sin. There were things I struggled with years ago that I don't struggle with anymore. The former alcoholics in this room. There are people in this room that have done meth. Okay, The people in this room whose past life was not characterized by morality. But what happens, he, he, when he saves us, he, he, we're saved from the penalty of sin. When you're born again, you'll never spend one moment in hell. I don't care what everybody on the television says. It doesn't matter to me. I care about what the Bible said. And there is an eternal security that is clearly taught in the Scriptures, okay? So that's true. But the realization is that we sometimes in that process, we, we, we struggle with certain things in our life. I, I, remember, I remember the first time I walked into a Baptist church, I was raised Lutheran in the first seven years of my life, 
And then we left the Lutheran church, went to an independent Lutheran church. Then we went to a Southern Methodist church and I attended some in a Presbyterian church. And then I stumbled into a Baptist church and I began to hear things I'd never heard before. It's like, what? I thought the guy had just landed on a spacecraft in Area 51 and caught a taxi cab to Georgia as he's preaching because I'd never heard that God had expectations of me. And you know what I found out? I found out there were things in life that I thought were okay that did not align with the Scriptures. And so God began that day a process of, of, of pruning my life and bringing me to a point to where I realized God has expectations of Dean. And so my life began, my life began to change, you see. Paul said, likewise... Uh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Begin to realize He died for us, and, and because of that, He has ownership of us. I love Romans chapter 6, uh, verse number 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead uh, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what reckon is? The word reckon, when you read it in your Bible, it's a, it's a financial word that means to estimate the final bill. It's the bigger picture. It's not a singular payment. It's reckon this. That means come to a final conclusion of this. And, and he, says, he says there that we are to reckon ourselves uh, dead indeed unto sin. In other words, the finality of this, the final bill Jesus paid, and sin should no longer have power over us. Now, we know the weakness of our flesh and the struggles that we have. But he picks up in verse number 12 of Romans 6, and he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." You know what Jesus did? He took my sins and He took your sins and the Bible said that He nailed them to the cross. And if my sins are dead on the cross, then, then why should we serve a master, a master that, that we have already died to? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Okay? Okay? So we're to be crucified, we are to be crucified with Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look with me in verse number uh, uh, 2 of, of 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. I want to read this verse for you. Watch this. That he should no longer live, underline this word, this phrase, the rest of his time in the flesh, to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now, here's, here's, here's the thing, the crux of, 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 of this message today. We have to decide how we're going to live, there's the phrase, the rest of our time. We've got to decide whether or not we're dead to sin or whether we're alive unto sin. How... how how much exactly, listen to me, how much exactly is the rest of our time? Well, you can't answer that. And I don't know that. My nephew Tim, my nephew Tim 
was 53 years old. This past Thursday, a week ago, all was well. He woke up, he woke up on Friday morning. It was his brother Eddie's birthday. He called Eddie on the phone and he said, Hey, bud, happy birthday. And They carried a conversation. He said, Hey, I want to take you out to eat for breakfast. So they went out to eat for breakfast and had a great meal. He went with Eddie to his store, and as he was leaving the store, the store cameras recorded the conversation where Eddie said to him, Hey, Tim, thanks for the breakfast. I love you, bud. And Tim said, I love you. And they had a moment there together. As Tim walked out, you could hear Tim say back to Eddie, I'll see you tonight. Because at that night, they had planned a birthday party for Eddie where the family would get together. And so on, on, the, on the cameras of Eddie's business, as Tim left, there is the co recorded conversation of, of what the plans were for that night. 53 years old. Pastor the little Baptist church there in Cartersville, Georgia. He goes home to his mother's house and hangs out that morning a little bit. She cooks a grilled cheese sandwich and asks him if he wants some of it. And he said, I, I, that would be great. So she cooks him a grilled cheese sandwich, cuts it in half. He takes it back into a room to answer a phone call. He eats half of the grilled cheese sandwich as he's talking. And then all of a sudden, Judy's washing dishes in the kitchen, and she hears a sound, and she looks down the hallway, and there is Tim laying on the floor. And they rushed to him, and they tried to revive him and help him. The ambulance came and picked him up and took him to the hospital. And then a few moments later, as I was on the phone with Eddie, somebody came out, and the tragic news was delivered. He did not make it. I'm just telling you that that, that, that last Thursday, Tim had no idea how much sand was left in the top. At 53, at 53, I would have thought, I would have thought that, that, that he had plenty. At 53, I would have thought that, that he'll live and see his grandchildren. At 53, I thought that church has got, got, got many years of, of, of having a pastor that that, that preaches to them. At 53 years old, I thought he'll be at all the Thanksgiving and at the Christmases and at the family gatherings when, where the Idaho crew and the Georgia crew are able to rendezvous up there in North Georgia. At 53, I would have thought that, that I would have, had, would have had plenty of time with Tim. And, 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 you know, I got texts on my phones that are absolute insanity. Tim's, Tim's humor was unbridled. It was just crazy. And, you know, he would send me voiceovers. And like, you know, hey, Dean, I want you to, I want you to listen to this voiceover. I tried. So he would have this voiceover, uh, some things he did on the side. And, and he would say, you know, um, Honda, the power of a Honda is what you expect from a Honda automobile. But did you expect this kind of power from this kind of Honda? And he would burp, you know, just, just an idiot. And I'm just sitting there in my easy chair what in the world? Laughing. My, I've, got, I've got antics of him where I would just see his face on the phone and I'd click the button and he would break out singing a hymn in an Irish, in, in Irish accent and exaggerating every single voice. And his facial expressions looked like Pavarotti who had just been shot in the leg. I mean, it was just, it was just this exaggerated stuff. And I'm sitting there crying, 
watching the insanity of who he was. And the last text that I got from him is the last text I'll ever get from him. And the last time we were together at his father's funeral 10 months ago is the last time we will ever be together. And now my sister Judy, now my sister Judy in a 10-month span has said goodbye to her husband, never thinking in that sad time as we circled around her and held her close that 10 months later she would say goodbye in this life to her son. And I sat with her in her room and held her in my arms this week as she wept and sobbed and wondered why God would leave her here. Why am I here? And I said something in my Facebook post that bears repeating. Don't ever think those are unspiritual questions. Job chapter 3 is a chapter where emotions are literally vomited on a page. And God allows them there. It's under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that they are given to us because here is a great man that is emoting emotions. The book of Psalms, go through Psalms and circle the question marks. Think of Jesus on the cross as he cries out through the darkness, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We're human. And emotions are a gift from God. And so, and so too, to, to recognize those emotions is natural. And by the way, it's, it's recognizing how God made us. We're human. We need to stop demanding of each other that we be superhuman. We need to, we need to allow some rawness and some, some pain sometimes to be expressed. If that doesn't happen, then we come to church and everybody puts on a mask and there's a big facade going on, you know. Sometimes we're not doing great. Sometimes things aren't super good. Sometimes we aren't feeling fine. And how can we pray for each other intelligently if we don't know? I think there needs to be an openness, you see. How much exactly is the rest of our time? Well, Tim didn't know. And by the way, neither do you. You have no idea. I do know this, I know that our life is compared to a vapor, whereas we know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. Can I just tell you that 67 years seems like nothing? I'm looking at myself now and I'm thinking, son, I mean, I'm going on 68. So in, in August, in 12 years, I'm going to be at 80. I mean, you know. You think about people that's been in your life and everybody ages and, you know. Just a couple of years ago, I was on a baseball diamond playing high school baseball. You know, running, romping through, a, a, you know, down a clay road in my neighborhood, down to the swimming hole and spending all day just getting waterlogged. And now all of a sudden, here I am, 67. Life is a vapor. It's so fleeting. It's so fast. And we need to recognize the fact that what we do now, you know, the Bible says, the Bible tells us that, we, that since time is so brief, what should we do with time? It means that we should redeem the time. Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time because the days 
uh, are evil. Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. You know what redeeming time means? It means rescuing it from waste. Now, I want to just say this to you. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy vacations and going fishing. That's not, that's not wasting life. When we waste life, we spend it frivolously. When we waste life, we invest it in things that are foolish or in things that perhaps are sinful. Life should be invested in making a difference and and enjoying the, the beauty of the things that God has given us, not frittered away in selfish endeavors and in simply making ourselves happy. I want you to listen to me carefully. If your goal in your life is not to please God, but it's to, it's to please yourself, you will live a miserable life. Because life can never fully satisfy any human being. Life isn't fair. Life isn't lived in an echo chamber. You can't, you can't get things so neat and tidy where the whole world rotates around you doing and acting and, and, and continuing in a way that, that, that pleases you. It's not the issue. The issue is not you and it's not me, it's him. And so we're to live our life in, in such a manner. Now, we've got choices and it's given to us. Uh, we, can, we can live there. Uh, notice verse 2, that, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men. So how am I to live? Well, I'm not to live in the flesh. Okay, I'm not to live in the lust of of men. In other words, pleasing myself, satisfying my desires, doing the things that makes Dean Lord. That's not, that's not how I live my life. We call the shots, we're on the throne, we chart our own course, we do our own thing. That's how lost people live. And what Jesus is saying to these people that he's writing here through Peter, what he's saying is that's not how you should live the rest of your life. Make up your mind. Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to invest yourself in? And he says, don't invest it in the flesh. Chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So what does that mean? That means you don't do the things the world does, and so they think you're nuts. It's exactly what that means. First Herring 4.6, that's my interpretation, all right? The world, if you live for Jesus, the world's going to think you're crazy. Okay? They're going to think you're missing out on what they have. Can I help you with this? What they have ultimately when the lights turn out is empty. It's emptiness. There's no depth of satisfaction. It's all superficial. It's all facade. It's all a fake. Every single bit of it. Live it till you, uh, 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 fake it till you make it. That, that's how it is with them. And so if you don't live that way, then the Bible says they, 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 they think you're strange, man. And the tragedy is that nowadays Christians are doing everything they can to, to close the gap between their life and the life that the world lives. We've even gotten to the place to where we've morphed our churches into places to where when lost people come in, 
they recognize the music and the atmosphere and it's it's amazing to me it's amazing to me how off-based we've become in our churches i'd rather them come and experience what my dad experienced when he walked into Bible Baptist Church at 4700 Skidaway Road. He walked in a lost man and looked at my mother and he said, there's something different here. God give us the difference where when people come in, they have a collision with truth and where the Spirit of God is so at home. I'm not trying to make the world feel comfortable here. I'm trying to make this a place where the Holy Spirit of God, by our yielding to what God wants us to do, where, the, where when people come in, they can be convicted by the power of truth and the power He's called the Spirit of truth. And we quench Him. And we grieve Him sometimes. And so we have to decide, well, we can, option number one is quite obvious there in verse number two uh, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men and then the second option is but to the but but to but to the will of God and so what is that that's that's our that's our goal of pleasing him to do his will what he wants in our lives first Thessalonians 2 4 Paul wrote the church at Thessalonica and he said for as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, listen to this, not as pleasing men, but God who trieth our hearts. So you, 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 you have to get to a place in your life to where you decide, look at the phrase, the rest of our time, the rest of our life, how, how are we going to do that? The reality of the matter is we've got to, we've got to decide whether we're going to spend the rest of our time living for self, living as men pleasers. Look at me. Listen, you've got to decide, you've got to decide who it is that's going to call the shots in your life. Okay? You live under the power of other people. You know? You let others dominate and call your shots. You call them yourself. Or you live under the power of you live under the power of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. We do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Paul, Paul asked a question that, that is uh, very self-arresting in his letter to the Galatian church. And then he followed it up with a a very pointed observation. I want you to go with me to Galatians chapter 1. Everybody turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Here's the question. And then the observation. Alright, watch this. Here's the question. Galatians 1 verse 10. For do I now persuade men... Are God or do I seek to please men you ever thought about answering that you ever thought about just looking at that God-given question under the inspiration of the Spirit of God in the Word of God and answering that question it wasn't just put there it wasn't just put there so that when we read our Bible we can check the box next to Galatians it's a question it's from God to us Okay, 
It's, it's, not, it's not just confined to the church at Galatia. It's to South Valley Baptist Church. It's to you and I as individuals of this assembly. And, and the question is this, who, who am I trying to persuade? Who, am, who do I seek to please, men? I think there's a little bit of an incredulous tone in this verse if I, if I, if I read it the way that, that I think Paul would say it. Who, 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 who are you trying to persuade? Are, 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 are you trying to seek to please men? Men? Really men? Sinful men? Are you allowing them control over who you are? Notice, notice now the pointed observation. For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. See, here's what Paul's saying. You've got to make up your mind. You've got to make a choice. God or mammon. Christ or men. Are, are you trying to persuade? Are, are, are you trying to impress? Are you trying, are you trying to make a show before men? Are you trying to seek to please men? If you're doing that, you can't be a servant of Christ. So you can't serve God and mammon. You can't have two masters. For Jesus said you'll either hate one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. And then in the book of James, it says, For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I think we sometimes struggle with what mind we should have. And yet the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of, of, of man. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. The reality of the matter is this, the whole creation of the world that Nathan is talking about on, on Wednesday night, it's all for his glory. And that's how you and I should live because that's what we were put here for. We were put here to become a servant and to become obedient and to live for the glory of God. That's why we're here. And if I spend the rest of my time, if I take whatever is left of, of Dean's life and I fritter it away, I fritter it away, trying to make me somebody, and trying to invest to such a degree that, that I reach a certain status level of life. If, if I spend my life for me, then when all is said and done, I don't care what they say at my funeral, my life's been empty. If you go down to a graveyard, cemetery, You'll notice a name. Sometimes the family inscribes a thought, loving father, wonderful grandfather. I've asked that on my gravestone that there be put Dean V. Herring. Wonderful papa. Didn't give a rip about his kids. I, I, that's what I want my phone. I want everybody to know I live for my grandchildren. And any time that anything goes wrong, it's the parents that are wrong, not the kids. Now, I, I, when you go to, you go to a, a cemetery and you look, you, you've got the name, and you've got the date of birth and the date of death, and in between there's a little hyphen. 
Well, what is that hyphen? What does it say? What happened? What happened in that? What took place in the hyphen? What kind of impact did you have in the hyphen? Whose life did you touch in the hyphen? Because here's the big birth and the big death, but in between is what's important. You see, that's what really matters. And so we have to make up our mind that we're going to live not, not for ourselves and not for man so much as that we are going to spend the rest of our time fulfilling the will of God. Now let me give last of all my last point quickly. Verse number 5, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Do you know what? You cannot change one second of your past. How many of you have things you, you, you would, uh, you would <laughs> you'd redo? How many of you would like a mulligan? I don't know if you'd golf, but you like a mulligan. It's one of my favorite golfs. You know, swings is a mulligan. I, used to, I went to a tournament one time where you could buy mulligans for $5. $5,000 later, I said, I'm, I'm done with this. I cannot do anything more. So you can buy mulligans. Unfortunately, you can't do that in life. And so the reality, we, we don't have do-overs. We, we, we can't redo it. We can't change one second of our past. We can apologize, and we should maybe, if, if it's of that nature. We, we, can, uh, we, can, uh, we can seek forgiveness, and if it's some, some wrong we did to somebody, we ought to do that, but we can't undo. We can seek forgiveness and, forg and, and, and make apologies, but we can't undo what's already been done. However, listen, however... We can make a choice to live the rest of our time. Sherry and Victor, I love them. I, I've, I'm grateful for everybody's testimony. Theirs is so different from me. Victor, I'm glad to see you standing back there. I was worried about what you were doing outside. I, um, I was saved from Archie comic books, ex-Spider-Man more than anything. Ca you know, Captain America, Sergeant Fury, and his Howling Commandos. Never smoked in my life. I've never tasted alcohol. I don't, I don't know what it tastes like. I've never had one day of my life where I woke up with a hangover. I've never done drugs. Uh, I, that's, that's just my, I was saved early. So, so I never did those things. And the Holy Spirit inside of me, when those things were there, I, I wasn't tempted. I told, I've told you the story before, how when I was a teenager at Bible Baptist in Savannah, we had a guest speaker, and it was J.C. Sullivan who drove the getaway car for Bonnie and Clyde. And I'm sitting there like, what? Dude, I don't have a testimony. Where's Bonnie and Clyde when I need them, you know? Man, I've got my 63... Mercury Comet, we could have, I, I could drive a getaway car. His testimony was amazing. And I'm serious, I'm thinking, I don't have a testimony. This guy's got a testimony. Aren't you glad that God saves both? Do you know what? Listen, listen, if I had died without Christ, I would go into the same hell as the lost people from the gangster area that, that fascinates the world. You know. I'm grateful for people that show that God can save 
from the worst of lives. And, and, and I'm going to use Victor and, and Sherry for just a moment. I hope they don't mind. If they do, I'm preaching, so it doesn't matter. But, 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 but listen to me. The, the reality of the matter, the reality of the matter is they have a past. I mean, messed up in drugs. And, but you know what they are today? They walk in here beaming and smiling. They are a testimony that you can choose what to do with the rest of your time. And they don't do drugs anymore. You know why they got saved. They don't spend time in jail anymore. You know why they got saved. They're not messing up other people's life anymore. You know why they got saved. Nobody's messing up their life anymore. You know why they got saved. And they've decided to take the sand that is left and give it to Christ. And they've been, they, they've been a testimony of that, Grace. You know, what, you know what it helps me do? It helps me not give up. Because somebody out there that we think is beyond hope, and I promise you, there were people in their lives that thought they were beyond hope. They, they, they are what they are, and they're never going to change. But, but look at who God made them. Look at the testimony. I love the... the uh, parable of the talents where a wealthy man's leaving for a long journey calls three servants in and gives each of them some talents he gave one five and another two and the the last one he gave one when he returns to have done as he wished but one has chosen to do it his own way and he's called an unprofitable servant now i'm glad that i was saved when i was 12 i'm thankful so thankful so thankful. I, I, I think you know what I say when I mean that I haven't spent but a handful of hours with Bobby Richardson since that day as a 12-year-old boy. But he and I have wept over a phone together doing a FaceTime when he said I wasn't even supposed to be there, but, I, but God knew you were going to be there. And if for no other reason, God sent me to Savannah so that that 12-year-old boy sitting next to his Uncle Frank would get born again. He sent me stuff in the mail with signed baseballs and I got a signed bat and things like that. And We hadn't spent a lot of time together, but I love him so deeply because he brought me to a place to where I knew that, that, that I needed Christ. But now that I'm saved, what am I going to do with the rest of my time? There's some things in my life if I could undo, I would, but I can't. But I don't regret one moment. I don't regret one thing I've ever done for Christ. Not one bit of it. I'm grateful for every ounce of it. Two of these servants obeyed the Lord and were commended and rewarded by the Lord. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So there's an unprofitable servant that does nothing with what God has given him. And then there's two servants that have taken what God has given them and they spent the rest of their time while he was away preparing for when he would return. And I just want to tell you, we listen to me. We have a choice. You have no idea where you're at on this scale. Neither did my nephew Tim. And now all of a sudden, it all ran out. And he stood before the Lord. 
How are you going to spend the rest of your time? Let's bow our heads. Could we do that for just a moment? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe right now you're sort of frittering away some opportunities. You're not really... Hey, cherish the moments with your family. You don't, you don't know how many more you have left. Embrace the togetherness that is a gift. Embrace it. Love it. Thank God for it. Be grateful for everything that God's done in your life and live for Him. We talked this morning about being born again. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Are you saved? Do you know you're going to heaven? If you don't, then we need to take a Bible and show you how you can know Christ as your personal Savior. We'll be glad to do that. Don't leave here today without coming to us and, 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 and saying, Pastor, I need, to, uh, I need to settle my relationship with Christ. I need to make sure that I'm saved. And I know we don't have formal altars down here like, like you normally see in a church and Yet, yet, we don't have to have that. We can go to a, we'll go to a side room somewhere in the privacy of a side room and make an altar out of it. You can know Jesus today before you leave here, if you will. If you're not sure you're saved, get that settled today before you leave. What are you going to do with the rest of your time? Redeem it. Rescue it from the waste of selfishness and selfish endeavors. Live for Christ. You'll never regret a moment you do. Father, we love you today. We're grateful for the joy that we've had to be in your house. And I pray now, dear God, that you would minister and work in us and do for us, dear God, the things that, that um, we need done to help us see clearly. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would speak in such a manner that we would realize we don't know how much time left we have, but, but we want to take the rest of our time and live it for you and for your glory. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.